Good morning, Bokertov. Welcome back to Living with Amuna. Please help yourselves to coffee in our wonderful Caffeinate with Kavana cups. If you want to still uh, purchase one of the permanent hot cups, you can go to the shul office right after class. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Vanna White. We have our uh, permanent hot cups, tumblers, I believe they are called. You can purchase one in the shul office right after the shear if you like, or enjoy a disposable one on us right now. Uh, caffeinate with Kavana. First bracha of the day. Don't, simple, don't simply sip and engage your first cup of coffee, which is a trias hamesim. It restores life in this world. Don't do it without kavana. Don't just mumble or swallow a bracha faster than you swallow the coffee, but caffeinate with kavana. Our Muna series is sponsored generously by Dr. Zavi and Bella Morgan, a memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbit, and a memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Shanzer. We're very grateful to the Morgans. Also, this morning's shear is sponsored by Nina and Gordon Haas in commemoration of her father's Yerzeit, Hyman Lechtman, Chaim and Aaron Pinchas Alevi. Where's Yonina? Where'd she go? On Friday, April 8th, Nissan 7. Thank you so much for your sponsorship. Okay, we are still learning about Simcha. And even though we're now in the month of Nisan, Simcha is something that's relevant all year round. Purim is now in the past. The two months of Adar are behind us. Whenever you happen to be living to this living with Emuna, whenever you're living, listening, whenever and wherever, Simcha is always relevant. Simcha is like that pilot light. We've quoted Rav Schwab. Rav Schwab said, Simcha is like a pilot light. There are times that we turn it up, the month of Adar. There are times that we lower the flame, the month of Av. But it always has to be lit. Some of you have no idea what a pilot light is because you live in Florida. You live in Florida. If you had a gas stove, you would know what a pilot light is. And if you want to avoid Bishal Akam, is halacha. If a Jew lights the pilot light, everything that's lit from that pilot light then has the status of being cooked by a Jew. So Schwab said, Simcha is like a pilot light. It has to always be lit. There has to be some spark, some ember, some flame of Simcha inside us. If it ever gets fully extinguished, that is the worst. Think about it of depression, despondency, hopelessness, helplessness. When the Simcha gets entirely extinguished and a person is walking around, they're dead even while they're alive. They're a zombie. They're a corpse walking through life. There has to be some Simcha. We have to give ourselves permission to feel besimcha. That doesn't mean that there aren't moments of hardship or pain. It doesn't mean that a person is not going through loss or grief. But it's okay to give yourself license to feel joy, even with whatever one is struggling with. Feeling besimcha, being joyful or happy, feeling and attaching ourselves to the one who is complete, namely God, submitting and surrendering and believing that there is a higher purpose and meaning and order to the universe, that we're not simply subjects of randomness and chance, but all that happens, good, bad, and ugly, is for a reason, whether we understand it or not. Allowing ourselves to feel that is not to dishonor or disrespect the person who's suffering or the issue that we are struggling with. It's not that well if you're willing to smile or laugh, you don't really miss the person who passed away. Or you don't really feel the pain of the person who's struggling or suffering. It's okay. One has license. One is obligated to feel besimcha even in that time as well. So we've been talking about one of the bis- biggest deterrents or detriments to simcha was when a person feels inadequate, when we feel insecure, when we feel like a failure, when a person feels I've come up short and I can't accomplish my goals and I keep stumbling and falling. So how can I be besimcha? I'm a nothing, I'm a reject, I'm inadequate, I'm, I'm incapable. So how can I feel besimcha? You know when you feel besimcha? When you've broken through. Influencers are besimcha. They're not besimcha. 
they curate an image online of being besimcha. Many are besimcha, I'm sure, and I wish them tremendous simcha. But many are not besimcha. Many are not besimcha. Don't ever buy into the image that you see carefully curated online. Don't ever buy into that. You never know what a person's feeling. So that's not the source of simcha. It's not that if you're popular or famous or you've broken through or you're powerful or you're rich, then you'll be besimcha. Simcha is what you feel in your heart. Simcha is the satisfaction of knowing that you're not going at it alone. That Hashem, that the Almighty is arm in arm, that the Almighty is walking together with you. And whatever you face and whatever you confront and whatever you need to overcome, He's right there. He's right there. He's right there and He's going through it together with us. He's feeling that pain or that grief with us. Even when He thinks it's the best thing that has to happen to us, He's still in pain with us. His parents, I've shared before, as parents, sometimes we have to punish, I don't like the word punish, but sometimes you have to restrict a child. So you can't go to that party, but everybody's, uh, it's the place to be, it's going to be amazing, uh, you, just, you hate me, you're ruining my life. Yeah, but still you can't go to the party. And then you sit and you cry with the child the whole night, and their loneliness, and their misery, and their feeling you don't love them because they're not allowed to go to the party. I need to put you through this because I'm doing what I think is best for you, but I can still feel your pain as you go through it. We know that as parents all the time. You take a child to the doctor. You have to get your shots. But I don't want my shots. You have to get the cavity filled. I don't want a cavity filled. But I love you, and you need the shot, and you need your teeth, and therefore I have to take you to the doctor. While you are crying in the chair, I will hold your hand. I may cry with you. It's not a contradiction to be able to say, I'm doing what's for your best, and yet I can feel your pain. And the Kodesh Baruch the Almighty is our Father in Heaven. And sometimes He sends us for shots. Sometimes He puts us into surgery. Sometimes we have to have spiritual cavities filled. Kodesh Baruch simultaneously can say, I'm doing this for your best, whether you see it and understand it now or not. Simultaneously, I feel that pain with you. I'm sorry this is what's necessary for your best, but know that I'm right there with you at the same time. So people think that if only I broke through and was successful, if only I was an influencer or popular, if only I had all those followers or friends, if only I had the wealth or the fame, then I'd be happy. And look how many people have all those things and they are among the most miserable, the most depressed, the most addicted, the most compulsive behavior, the most acting out. And sometimes we get those headlines that they are found having taken the ultimate act. They have everything that we think that if we had, we'd be happy. They have it and they're empty. Simcha is not external. It's not outside ourselves. It's not something you chase or pursue. In America, simcha is, you know, the pursuit of happiness. You don't have to run after the cup of coffee. The cup of coffee is right here. I don't have to run after it. Why don't I have to run after it? Because it's not running away. When do you have to run after something? When it's elusive, when it's running away from you. But our sense of simcha is not something that runs away. It's not outside ourselves. You don't have to find it and you don't stumble upon it. But you have to be happy inside yourself. You have to spend time and close your eyes and take deep breaths and think about your life. And to be happy with what you have and happy with who you are and happy with where you are. That doesn't mean, again, that you're not honoring or respecting the challenges or struggles that you have. Every one of us is incomplete some way or another. Every one of us has those issues or challenges. I don't know, at the shul dinner the other night, the comedian Modi performed and he talked about how every corona form, intake form, is anti-Semitic. Because every form says, in the last seven days, have you had an ache, a pain, your stomach, oh. your this, your that? Yes. It's like, what you ever woke up and didn't check off half those things? 
So the whole form is, you know, the whole routine is, is anti-Semitic. So who doesn't wake up every day? He does it better than I do, apparently. Who doesn't wake up every day and feel incomplete in one way or another? So what's the only way we can feel complete or compensate for that incompleteness? Is to attach ourselves to the only one who's whole, says Ravitcher Meyer, which is Hashem. That's why we wake up and we caffeinate with Kavana. Shahakol Niebedvaro. Everything here is with his word. There's nothing that's happening that he's not in charge, he's not in control, he hasn't willed, and is not part of his master plan. Ah, why should it be part of his master plan? These horrific, innocent deaths in Ukraine, I don't know. I'm not God. If we were God, we would know. And to think that we are entitled to know means that we think we are God. Part of the belief of God, part of belief in God, is the admission that I can't understand the world like God. To think I believe in God, but also I demand to understand everything that's happening, means you don't really believe in God. Implicit in the belief in Hashem, implicit in Amuna in Hashem is the concession that I believe in Hashem, and therefore, by definition, there are things I don't and can't understand. If I still demand to understand, I want an explanation, I need it to make sense, I feel entitled, then I don't really believe in Hashem. I believe in me. To believe in Hashem, to submit to His, to his omnipotence, that He's infinite, that He's all-knowing, that He's all-controlling, is to understand that there are things we cannot and will not understand in this life, and don't get stuck on them. It's easier said than done. I don't mean to suggest that's simple. But as we've also quoted a million times, the Rav Hirsch, don't get stuck on Lama, but ask Lama. Not why, but what. Not why did this happen, but what am I meant to do now? That's it. I wake up every day. These are the facts. These are the cards that I'm dealt. Why was I dealt these cards? It's not fair. My neighbor was dealt such a better hand. My neighbor's got a full deck. My neighbor's got three of a kind. My neighbor's got a straight flush. And I got a two and a four offsuit. Why, why do I have miserable cards when my neighbor's got the best cards? You could sit and you could wonder that, or you could figure out what's the best way to play this hand. You could get stuck on why, or you could ask what. What now? And then be besimcha with the what now. To be besimcha. To choose to be besimcha. So let's get back into the text. When a person feels they want to beat themselves up, they want to knock themselves down, I can't believe I made that decision. I can't believe I said that thing. I can't believe I hurt that relationship. I can't believe I came up short. I can't believe I gained all that weight back. If only I could turn back time, I'm filled with such regret and remorse and guilt and shame. If only I had done things differently, I'd be in a different position and place now. You know all that does? It robs you of your happiness and your joy for life. All that does is make you stuck in the past. All that makes is you forfeit the present. There's nothing productive in that. Particularly when it comes to spiritual ambition and spiritual status. Okay, you made a mistake. Good. Yesterday was yesterday. Today's a daf chadash. Today's a new day. It's a brand new day and a brand new start. And we're working on our notebooks for everybody, one of us to keep our lists and take our notes and begin every day with a new page that says on top, daf chadash, turn the page. It's a new page, a blank slate every day. Sometimes you have to scribble over from yesterday. You didn't complete everything yesterday. Sometimes you rewrite it on the new page, but you're rewriting it on a new page. 
You turn that page, it's a new day. It's a new day. And the answer is to tshuva, to give the answer. Tshuva. Tshuva we normally translate as to repent. Tshuva means to repent. We're about to turn the page around. Kuf Nun Vav, 156. Tshuva means to repent, to repair. But tshuva actually means something else. What does tshuva mean? Lashuv, to return, which is a fascinating, I know now it's Nisan, we're getting and gearing up for Pesach, not for Rosh Hashanah, but all year round you're allowed to do tshuva. So where are you returning to? To return suggests that what? That you've been there before. That it's not new to you. If you're returning to something, then you've been there before. You've been happy. You've been joyful. You felt successful. You felt Hashem's presence. You felt the infinite. You've made contact with the divine. You felt pure. You've been there before. Get back to where you were in the best sense. But tshuva also means something else. Tshuva means something else. Many years ago, I went to visit somebody in prison who was falsely accused of rape, was exonerated in the end, but was in prison. And um, I remember sitting there, you know, I walked through and the prisoners were behind bars and I still felt. Anyway, I met with him. I love the chaplain told me, if anything, I knew the person, I was not afraid. But he said, you know, in the visitation room, there's a little button under the desk. If anything happens, just press the button and we'll be in there in, in a moment to get you out. So. You know. Anyway, I was sitting with this young man and he was filled with questions. Why did God do this to me? Why is this happening to me? Why do I deserve this? Why did this happen? What do I do now? And it occurred to me, remember, it was, I, it was during Elul that that visit happened. And I remember thinking to myself, I said to him, you know, I, I don't know the answer. Only you, through the way you'll live your life now, can provide the answer to those questions. There are endless and countless questions in life. We give and we do tshuva. The word tshuva, tshuva is an answer. We are the answer. In other words, if you get stuck on lama why, then all you have is a question. But if you ask lama for what, and then you grow, change, improve, act, transform, you've given the answer. You've given the answer. You are the tshuva. You are the answer. So all you have, says Richard Meyer, is tshuva. You can't change yesterday, and you can't go back in time, and you can't reverse or revert a decision that you made or an act that you did or something that you said. You can't. All you could do is give the answer today. All you could do is turn the page. And we're going to turn the page now, page Kofnan Zayin, 157. There is a unity to Hashem's existence. He's everywhere all around us. And everything makes sense. He has a vision and a picture for the way the universe is organized and the order and it functions. And the more we submit and surrender to him, the more we recognize and the more we feel his presence, then we can give and be that answer. This is a big Pesach theme. It's a big Pesach theme. That, I'm trying to decide which way to tell it to you because there's so many insights at the Seder table about this. This was Hillel. Hillel was Korech, Matzah, Umarah and ate them together because the Marah represents the bitterness and the Matzah represents 
freedom that we left with alacrity and zeal, expeditiously, we attained our freedom, we were liberated from the bondage of Mitzrayim, and we ate them separately, we fulfilled those mitzvahs independently, and Hillel came along and he said, make a sandwich out of them. You know why? Because life is not about either matzah or maror. Often the matzah and the maror go together. Often the matzah and the maror go together. You know how many funerals I've done? You know how many terminal, terminally ill bedsides I've been next to where a family that was divided and apart found a way to come together? That horrific loss, that tragedy, which was unbearably painful, but ended up becoming the catalyst for a family reconciling and unifying and coming together. So is that moment matzah or maror? The answer is, it's a sandwich. The answer is yes, both. Hillel understood that life is often both. It's not either or, it's not binary, it's both. It's often both at the same time. And it fluctuates. That's why Rabbi Gamliel said, you have to eat the Pesach and the Matzah and the Maror. Is that the right order? Now, what order should we eat it in? Each of these are symbols. Some Pesach, Matzah, and Maror. Pesach is... What? The less sacrifice. The sacrifice. Matzah represents freedom. Maror represents the bitterness of slavery. What order should you have eaten in? Maror, then Matzah. Why do we eat it in Matzah and then Maror? The answer is, don't think in life that once you have matzah, there's no more murder. Don't think in life that you've broken through. So you were single, you longed companionship, and you finally, you waited too long, and you got married. So I had so much murder in my, not that being single needs to be defined by murder. That's a whole other topic. It's a whole other topic. But many people experience a bitterness in being alone, and then they break through with companionship. Oh, now it'll be smooth sailing. I didn't have children, I longed for children, now I had children, smooth sailing. Matzah and maror, they fluctuate. And they, it's a roller coaster of ups and downs and backs and back and forth. So the whole Pesach Seder is an exercise in Amuna. The whole Pesach Seder is, for 210 years nothing made sense in Egypt, and then God came and took us out and redeemed us, and made us a nation and brought us into an Israel, and now it all makes sense in retrospect. Now that we can zoom out a lens and we can see the whole picture with clarity, now it comes together and makes sense. And we realize that life is matzah and maror mixed together. Life, like Hillel taught us, is a sandwich. It is a sandwich. So how do you get through those hard times? How do you get through the maror moments? By believing in the matzah. By having emunah. By knowing that there will come a point in this world or the next, hopefully in this world, where we'll zoom out a lens and see in whatever happened, we'll see the matzah even within that murder. I also quoted years ago, we had a, someone speak here. He used to run the Aish in London. I don't remember his name, but he was a rabbi to one of our members who brought him to speak. And his wife had passed away tragically, young, young from cancer. Yeah, you know, young guy. His wife had died very young, leaving him with many young children. And I'll never forget the talk that he gave that really only he, someone who went through what he went through, could give where his talk was, bad things don't happen to good people, painful things happen to good people. And he distinguished between bad and painful. Painful means it hurts. Root canal hurts. Is it bad? No, it's good. It's going to restore and save your tooth, enable you to eat. It's painful, but it's not bad. A person works out or exercises. It's painful. It's not bad. It's good. It's good. Don't confuse bad and painful. 
So he said, bad things don't happen to good people. How do I know that? Because if Hashem allowed it to happen, ordained it to happen, it's not bad. Because Rabbi Akiva taught us that everything Hashem does is for our best. Everything. It's latav, latov, it's good. It's not bad. Everything Hashem does is good. Even when you can't go to the party, young child. Even when you can't watch that movie. Even when you can't attend that event. Even when you can't eat that endless candy. Even when you can't stay up past your bedtime. It's a painful thing happening to a good person, they think from their perspective. But it's not bad. And from our perspective, there are those things that happen to us that are painful. Unbearably painful. I know I'm looking at people in this room who've experienced unbearable pain. The loss of people they love that can never be healed or replaced. It's unbearably painful. But as believing Jews, we submit and surrender and we embrace that principle that it's painful but not bad because if it were, not, if it were bad, God wouldn't do it. And if it happened, then it may be painful but it's not bad. It's a very high level. Like I said, I'm not credible to tell you that. I'm, I'm not, I have no credibility. But he did, that rabbi from London. And he described, I'll never forget, how painful the loss of his wife was and still is. Yet, he then went on to list all the incredible things that came out of it. His own personal growth, the growth of his children, the bonding of his family, the... He said, I would never do it again. I, I wouldn't want it. I'm not therefore happy that it happened. It was unbearably painful. But bad things don't happen to good people. Painful things happen to good people. So what gets a person through a loss like that? What, what enables a person to smile again and to live life and to find the joy? What allows a Holocaust survivor to ever smile again? Holocaust survivors are, are beyond belief. They were angels in this world. If you, if you want to see an angel, don't wait for the next life. Whatever hardship any one of us is going through, every Holocaust survivor went through that and a million others. And they found the will and the ability to live life and to smile and to be joyful, joyful and hopeful and faithful. It all comes down to Amuna. It comes down to belief and faith and to submit there's something bigger and there's something higher and there's something greater than ourselves. Something greater than ourselves. And to be mevatal ourselves to Him. To nullify ourselves to Him. To relinquish and give up. Give up this unachievable goal or entitlement to understand or that life needs to happen the way that we drew it up. That life has to happen the way that we want, the way that we've choreographed. Who says? Who says? And this is also an enormous Pesach theme because slavery, we are in bondage and we are enslaved to that entitlement. We are enslaved to bitterness. There are people who are enslaved to that sense of resentment. We're going to talk much more about this this Shabbos. Shabbos HaGadol, shameless plug. Moving back to Shabbos afternoon. But we're talking about the theme of our, of our talk is from resentment to contentment, setting ourselves free. We're going to talk about our relationship with the Egyptians, our relationship with Germans, our relationship with Ukrainians, and then our relationship with each other. How do we go from resentment to contentment? How do you go from pain and still find a capacity to set yourself free by not bearing a grudge? Do we forget? Do we forgive? Do we only forget? But do we only forgive but not forget? <laughs> we'll talk all about that this Shabbos. 
But one of the themes of Pesach, when we talk about slavery and freedom, we are incredibly blessed in our time and our generation that we are not in a slave labor camp, that we are not slaves physically. We have all the freedom and liberty in the world physically that a person could want. We live in this great country, the great democracy, the great America, and it gives us incredible freedom. And yet we are living unbelievably enslaved. We're enslaved to technology. We're enslaved to consumerism. We're enslaved to social media. We're enslaved to pop culture. We're enslaved to whatever the addiction is of the moment. That's why we have the greatest freedom we've ever had with the greatest mobility and choice and prosperity and pleasure than humanity ever had in the history of the world. And there's more mental illness and depression and anxiety than ever before. Right? A couple months ago, we went through that whole routine from Zilberstein. 200 years ago, a person fast forward, we described indoor plumbing, electricity, the washing machine, the laundry machine, ways and everything else. They said, oh, so everyone must be happy and smiling. And no, we're more miserable than ever. <laughs> we're more unhappy than ever. It's not hard to figure out why. Hashem, the less faith you have, the more you think on your own, you're in charge, you're in control, then the less happiness you're going to have. And the more you let go and let God, and the more you live your life and say, he's in charge, he's in control, the more you could be along for the ride and smile. The more, the more you're good to go. could fix everything. He's so great. And from that bitter, from that marr, will emerge matzah. Will come matzah. Will come matzah. You know, matzah is amazing food. You could give hours, and it's, it's an amazingly expensive food. It's the amazingly difficult to digest food. There's a lot of amazing things about matzah. A lot of amazing things about matzah. But matzah is called lechem oni. Why is it called lechem oni? We have two traditions. Lechem oni is the bread of the poor person, which after you spend the money to buy a pound of the matzah, you are then a poor person. So lechem oni. 200,000, I never knew this till this year, 200,000 pounds of hand shmura matzah are produced in Ukraine. And the last 20,000 pounds never got out because the day they were meant to leave a port of Odessa is when Russia invaded. So 10% of the matzah in America didn't make it, which is why supply chain, there's a huge increase in the price and matzah is at an all-time high. I, someone said to me, because I was looking into it, how could it be it's over $40 a pound? That's for the most inexpensive, Hanshmur matzah, a pound. So someone answered, supply chain. I says, I don't know, I turn on the faucet, the water's still flowing. Doesn't seem to be a supply issue of water coming out of the faucet. And is there a supply issue of the, of the flour that we have? Doesn't seem to be a major issue. So what does it mean supply chain? So that was the answer to Ukraine. So matzah is called lechemoni. It's the bread of the poor man. Why is it the bread of the poor man lechemoni? Because matzah has to last. If you break a fresh loaf of bread and you need it to last the whole week because you can't afford to bake a new loaf every day, you bake one loaf on Sunday, it's got to last the whole week. Your loaf ain't going to last the whole week because the fresh loaf with no preservatives, it's going to be stale and moldy within a day. Matzah can last. So matzah is the bread of the poor person. You make the cracker, the cracker can last forever. I just finally threw out I'm one of those weirdos who eats shmura matzah the whole year. I love shmura matzah. Uh, yes. 
So much less expensive right after Pesach, by the way. You know how inexpensive it is? You simply tell people if you have any leftover shmur matzah and they'll pay you to take it. That's how inexpensive it is. So we, don't, we have the minig not to eat matzah as of Purim, so there went the last of last year. But I'll tell you a secret. If it weren't embarrassing, I would have just kept last year's matzah to use this year because it doesn't go bad. Either because it tastes stale on day one or because it never tastes stale, depending how you see it. But it never goes bad. It never goes bad. So matzah is the lechem oni. It never goes bad. The poor man needs it. But lechem oni also means something else. Lechem sha'onim alav dvarim harbei. It is the bread that we say many things about. It's the lechem, it's the, it's the bread of emuna. It's the bread of emuna also. And there's so many names because it represents and incorporates so many things. There's a bitterness to this matzah because on the one hand, it's the bread of the poor person. But it's also the bread of the rich because it's the bread of faith. And it's also the bread of tshuva that lechem she'onam aloved, we give a lot of answers. This bread, as we eat it, we are giving answers. We're not getting stuck on lama, but we're asking lama. And we are the answer to that question. So mitoch ato, from the bad comes the good. Tzemuna, hakobi adayim shalashem is baruch, everything's in his hands. V'rakua menahal v'hasholet, he's in charge, he's in control. V'umanhegu movel asa'olom l'tov ha'gamor. What was, what is, what will be, if you begin with the assumption that it is good and will be good, so now, okay, I hope it's not painful, but I know it will be good. We can always hope and ask and wish that it not be painful, but we know it will be good. Because everything is done with Hashem's hands, which are the best. Which are the best. He is the one in control. It was a plane, a plane ride of people. The plane hit incredible turbulence. The pilot came on and announced, everybody buckle up, sit down, be prepared for your oxygen mask to fall. And the plane was bouncing back and forth and left and right and up and down. The overhead was opening up and the suitcases were falling out and the people were bouncing against each other. And there was a little girl sitting by herself, unaccompanied minor. And while all the adults around her were panicking and crying and screaming out and praying, she sat there perfectly content and serene and smiling. And everyone thought this was the end and to whatever the way they could, they were contacting their loved ones to say goodbye for all that had happened. And, and uh, this little girl never lost her smile. The pilot was able to regain the plane, came out of the clouds, the turbulence, and it landed softly. And one of the older men, can't help but came up to this girl and asked her when they landed, how is it we all panicked and we prayed and you looked so happy and so serene? How could it be? So she said, the answer is very simple. My dad's the pilot. And I knew that he'd get us home safely. So when you know your father's the pilot, when you know the father's the pilot, no matter how much turbulence you may experience in your life, you know you're going to come home safe. The question is, do you know your father's the pilot? That's the question. The pilot is your father, but do you have a relationship with him? Do you know him? Do you know him? It doesn't mean that painful things won't happen in life. Painful things will happen in life. There are maror moments. There are maror moments. It just means that they're painful, but they're not bad. And when you go through life knowing that, you're much more emboldened 
and you'll have the courage and the faith and the fortitude to take on. Let's just finish this letter. So you'll say, well, won't this lead to an enormously passive, won't this lead to people who are spectators to their own life? God's in charge, God's in control, everything happens for a reason, everything happens for the best. I guess I'm just along for the ride. He's the pilot, so we're going to passively sit as spectators in the passenger seat. The answer is, we have to make our effort, we have to take our initiative, we have to do the best we can. We don't let go and let God before we even try. You don't let go and let God by sitting at home on the couch and waiting for Him to deliver your livelihood. You don't let go and let God by hearing a diagnosis and then deciding God will miraculously make you better without going to a doctor or without taking medicine. You don't let go and let God in lieu of taking initiative and exerting and expressing our best effort. We have to make our best effort. We have to take our greatest initiative. And then we let go and let God. All of this comes back to, why are we talking about this here and now? Because Richard Meyer is talking about happiness and joy. So he made a mistake, so he came up short. So you experienced something painful. So you had a failure. You had a bad fail. Okay. Do what you need to do to learn and grow and repair. And now move on. Because that was God's will. If God wanted to get you out of your own way, He could have. He didn't. He let you fail. Now choose to fail forward. You could fail backward or you could fail forward. That choice is ours. Are you going to fail backwards or are you going to fail forward? You fail forward by learning with a mistake and then understanding and believing that that too was God's intent, that God was okay and orchestrated. And that led you to where you are now. And now the question is, what will you do with this moment? Who will you be in this here and now? It's really, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's option B, which I haven't read it, you should. That's the whole thesis of the book. And that her friend Adam Grant, with whom she co-wrote the book, told her. And after her husband Dave dropped dead precipitously, died out of nowhere, tragically. And for that whole year, all she wanted was Dave by her side. Every time she went to her kid's production at school, she kept saying, I wish Dave were here, I wish Dave were here. And Adam Grant said to her, that was option A, but option B was, A was taken away from you. So it's time to pivot to option B. Option B. You wish you had a different deck of cards, or your hand of cards. You don't. Now how do you want to play the cards that you do have? We go through unbearably painful moments and challenging times. And now you wake up in the morning with a new page, a daf chadash, and what do you want to do with what you have? So there's someone who's no longer here, and I don't say that lightly, but who is still here? And what do you want your life to look like with them? What is still here? And what do you want the rest of your life and legacy to look like with whatever you have? We can get stuck and we could perseverate and we can become paralyzed or we could break through. That's Pesach. Break out and break free and break through whatever we think is holding us back. Sadness, regret, remorse, shame, guilt. There are so many things that are holding us back, but they are self-imposed. We could let go. We could let go. I'm telling you my best of stories from all my drushes right now, if you've recognized some of them. But I'll tell you one more, one to, one more to close. One more to close. We barely get through any text every week. I apologize for that. But one more to close is the story of the, of the gorilla who's trapped. 
They put a banana, he puts his hand through, he grabs the banana. And because he grabs the banana, now he can't get his head, hand through, and that's how he's trapped. But the silly gorilla, because the truth is he's not trapped at all. What does he need to do? All you have to do is let go of the banana and you're out. But the gorilla who thinks he can't let go of the banana is a, is a self-imposed trap. He's trapped in his own way. It's a trapping of his own making. So we have these thoughts and we think we have these emotions and feelings and we think we can't escape and we can't set ourselves free. That's why we experience Pesach. Go search for the chametz in your life. Not just the leaven, the inflated chametz, the grain, but the chametz in your emotional, spiritual life and purge it and obliterate it and rid yourself of it and set yourself free. Live chametz free, it's weighing you down. Carbs weigh you down. Chametz weighs you down. Literally and figuratively. And the chametz thoughts and the chametz yetzahara and those chametz, it's weighing us down. So get rid of the chametz and set yourself free. We don't have to be trapped. We could let go and let God. How do you do it? Amuna. How do you do it? Tshuva. How do you do it? By caffeinating with kavana. <laughs> when the first thing you do in your day, not to suggest that drinking coffee is the first thing you do in your day, we do other things like moda'ani. You open your eyes and you say, ah, huh, I guess I'm still here. Thank you. Thank you, what do you mean? But my mortgage bill is due, I don't know how I'm paying it. My loved one is sick and my this is this. What do you mean thank you? The answer is, I guess I'm still here, thank you. It all works. <laughs> my thank you. Moda'ani, thank you. Oh, I got more to say to you, but for now, thank you. I'll get to my complaints, and I'll get to my requests, and I'll get to my protests, but for now, Moda'ani, thankful am I, Rabbi Munasecha, that you have faith in me that I got another day. We'll talk about what's not here, what's not going right, but I want to begin with thanking you for what is right and what is here, and the first thing that's here is me. I'm here. I woke up. Moda'ani. And each of those, Birchas HaShachar, the first 15 first brachos we say in the morning. If you go back and listen to the beginning of Siddur snippets, we went through each of those brachos, Birchas HaShachar. They are 15 steps of gratitude. Attitude of gratitude. Wake up in the morning. I can see. I have clothing. I can walk. Shoes. These are things the rest of the world neglects. Who notices or says, who says thank you for shoes every day? Do you know what your life would be with no shoes? Talk to a survivor who operated in a concentration camp and had to navigate the world with no shoes. You know what the world is if you can't walk? I was on a knee scooter for four months when I tore my Achilles. I couldn't carry my own cup of coffee from one side of the room to the other. Couldn't drive. Can't be mobile. You can't do anything. You know when you notice that? When you tear your Achilles. And every day that you could walk around, you don't notice. So we start our day 15, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, for things that no one else notices, but I refuse to neglect. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But you know what it takes? The mindfulness to be present and concentrate when you say the thank you. It's very hard. That's why you gotta have the cup. Because then you pour that cup of coffee because you're half asleep and you're miserable and you can't be mindful. A cup of coffee often comes before the Birch HaShachar and you're trying to jumpstart your life, defibrillate your soul. And how do you do it? Coffee is a great gift. I'm grateful for every day. And that's why we made caffeinate with kavana. Be mindful. Shakol, the farmer, the coffee bean, the grinder, the trucker, the packager, 
the inventor of the Kerig, Nespresso, whatever you, find Schmecker's drink, whatever it is, Shakol, that all of it, Niyabedvaro. Thank you, it's unbelievable, Hashem. Every day you give me the ability to come back to life. You just have to have Kavana. You have to have Kavana. So, this is the last class after Pesach. So, wishing everyone a Set yourself free. Experience freedom and liberty this year. Baruch Hashem, we're blessed physically to have freedom. Let spiritually and emotionally have freedom. Let go of the bananas in life. Let go of the thoughts. Let go of the ideas and the visions that haunt you and that hold you down. Turn that page and let go. Nine o'clock tonight behind the Bima, Coach Bruce Pearl. You may have seen his interview in the NCAA Final Four, where uh, an NCAA tournament, where he was asked about donating to Ukraine and he gave a whole history lesson about Purim and his name is Mordechai. He's a proud Jew. He's our guest tonight at 9 p.m. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.